Hi, Dave. Hey, Blair. <laughs> Hi, Dewey. Hi, Blair. And Welcome. Dave. <laughs> Welcome to Living Hope Finley Caught Podcast. We had a little bit of a rough start there, but we'll keep going. I'm just excited to be here. All right. Amen. So today, let me tell you a story. So we taught, my wife and I taught our daughters the Lord's Prayer. And my youngest daughter, when she got to the part about lead us not in temptation, she said, lead us not into temptation. So today we're going to talk about temptation and how to overcome it. So Sounds good. <laughs> lead us not into temptation. Temptation. So we're, uh, last past weekend we started in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, where we have the temptation of Christ. So, uh, we, um, I just looked at my message. It was 42 minutes long. So, apparently I had a lot to say because <laughs> I just felt like the passage was so, uh, so packed with meaning and background and, and everything like that. So, we, we dug in on Sunday on that. So, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Do you guys want to split it up and uh, read it? You do half, Dewey, and Dave, you do half? Sounds good. I'll All start. Right, you take the first part. Thanks. So Matthew 4, starting with verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All right, interesting uh, event here in the life of Jesus. Let's just do some real basic observations. Like, what are some things that are obvious in this passage? What are you guys noticing? I appreciated yesterday, you pointed out in verse... Um, six, how Satan kind of falsely or, or tempted Jesus with this verse that he will command his angels concerning you. But Jesus withheld that temptation. And after his obedience, they actually did, um, in verse 11, um, minister to him. Oh yeah. That was a, an observation by, uh, David Turner's from his commentary. Yeah. I thought that was neat too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else are you noticing about the passage? Uh, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Yeah, so, like a purpose statement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations, Jesus. You just got <laughs> baptized. Yeah. We're preparing now, you God, for ministry. the Holy Spirit. So yeah. let's go to the desert to be yep. tempted by the devil. <laughs> and I guess, you know, maybe a more large scale observation would be that Jesus is being led into the wilderness for a purpose. Um, like he's starting his ministry here. Mm -hmm. Like his ministry is, is on, even though he's doing this, we think of fasting as this, 
personal spiritual discipline, but Jesus is doing something on behalf of us um, in this work. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that Jesus uh, answers uh, each of the devil's temptations with three uh, rebuttals of scripture. And as you, you guys pointed out in our teaching team, those all come from the book of Deuteronomy. So I thought that was interesting. It's the wilderness book. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Israel in the wilderness and the law is being retold and recounted for them. It's interesting. 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days in the, in the wilderness. I mean, you brought that out in your message, Blair. Yeah, let's go deeper into that as we uh, make some observations. What do you what are what do you find fascinating about the, this passage, uh, with some of those Old Testament allusions or the meaning of this passage here too? Well, you started to kind of talk about it, Dave. That Jesus did what Israel couldn't do. Jesus was faithful without sin, um, and we recount the story of Israel and. The Old Testament and we see they're up and down and they're faithful to God and they're unfaithful and you know we have the giving of the law and oh we're never going to sin again you know right. we're going we're to be we faithful we commit ourselves we commit to these ourselves things. it's yeah. like yeah you know but Jesus here is doing what they couldn't do yeah yeah so in the Old Testament um, out of Egypt I called my son mm-hmm. that's quoted earlier in Matthew and then you have you know just as Israel was led out of Egypt and they had, like you said, Dewey, they had this high moment, right? Where they received the law and you have this high moment where God speaks. This is my son who I'm in love and the Holy Spirit comes down on him. And from that high moment, it's out in the wilderness for testing. And like you said, you know, how well did Israel do? <laughs> I mean, not even Moses made it in the promised land. Right. The whole generation mm-hmm. and even Moses, you know, the kind of top prophet. Right. He didn't even, um, make, it. Didn't even make it. And mm-hmm. so uh, you have Jesus doing it and being the one who makes it. That that says something really strong. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the just doing the research on the, the 40 days and 40 nights and the Old Testament illusions. You got Moses fasted, um, no no water, no no food for 40 days, 40 nights on Mount Sinai. And then Elijah also. Um, and then you've got the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And there's lots of different 40s in the Old Testament. Uh, but that was pretty interesting. And then if I liked the, uh, I don't know if it's 100% obvious in the text, but you've got maybe because of the temptation of Satan, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And so Adam and Eve faced uh, temptation and the whispers of the devil's lies. And they had the word of God, you know, you shall not eat of the tree, but they didn't enforce the word of God against the devil's temptations. But Jesus did resist with scripture. So he succeeded. So you you point out, Dewey, that um, Israel failed, Jesus succeeded, Adam failed also, and uh, Jesus succeeded. So I think that's all pretty fascinating background. So anything else that stuck up to you guys stuck out to you guys? I just see, I mean, you see here very clearly Jesus's human nature, you know, yeah. he was hungry yeah. in verse uh, two, but yet he's Dave, you were talking about withstanding the temptation of the devil, direct temptation from the devil. And we're talking about his, his perfection, um, where he did what Israel couldn't. So we're seeing both his, his nature where he's hungry, but his, his divine nature, um, where he's without sin. Yeah. 
Good. So there's, you know, we can, there's lots to dig out of this, this passage and its, its implications for us. So let's talk about Jesus' uh, temptations. Um, <laughs> sorry, couldn't resist. Um, so he's weakened in his humanity. He's strengthened by the scripture. So what is Jesus doing here as he faces the devil's temptations? We've hinted at a couple of things, but let's tease it out a little bit more. What is God accomplishing through Jesus' temptations? Well, he's proving he really is the son of God. Yeah. So the tempter is saying, if you are the son right, of God, yeah. right? Uh, trying to bait him into playing the game his way. But by withstanding the temptation, he's he's demonstrating he is the son of God. Yeah, that's good. There's a demonstration here. Yeah. At the end of the passage, the devil left him. So mm-hmm. Satan had to give up. There's nothing, there's nothing more that Satan could have done. Yeah, and this this victory is a victory that we walk in, in what Jesus accomplished for us. So, um, I've said it before from the pulpit, I said it here a few minutes ago, one of my favorite doctrines, uh, maybe there'll be another one that comes along that I have to learn a little bit more about that. But right now, the active obedience of Christ or the representative obedience of Christ. So, what is that? What is the active obedience of Christ? And then how does it accomp- um, how does it encourage the Christian in our daily lives? What would so, you guys say? So I think it was R.C. Sproul. He said something um, in this regard. He said, don't doubt for a minute. We are saved by works. And you know, that obvious, oh, well, wait a second, what? we're not saved by, <laughs> you know, he's heretical, but no, it's the work, the works of Jesus Christ. So when we think of the active obedience of, of Jesus Christ, Jesus was perfect as he lived on earth as a human being. He did, as we've been saying, what Adam couldn't do, what Israel couldn't do. Jesus actively obeyed the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And that's what he did in complete obedience to the Father. Um, And so when we think about its application for us and our union with Christ, when we are found to be in Christ, all that righteousness, all that work... um, of Jesus Christ is imputated. That's the fancy word mm-hmm. in justification. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's imputed to us uh, um, to we're credited his righteousness. Yeah. Think about second Corinthians five twenty one that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that, that great exchange, our sin to him, his righteousness to us. Dave, you were going to say something. Well, I was thinking the, uh, the doctrine of the act of obedience of Christ, the, the righteousness of Christ, which is, you know, uh, imputed, uh, credited to us, right, by faith in Jesus. That's only valuable if you understand how you desperately, desperately need it. So here you have an example of Jesus actively resisting uh, the t- uh, temptation and the testing by Satan himself. And you can only appreciate that Jesus did that for you if you understand how hopeless it, it is for you to ever think that you really too, true, truly could resist temptation. Um, I mean, you think of examples where Satan uh, tempted people. Um, in our, uh, we're in a community group launch and we're going through Job. So Job, right, Satan came to God and asked to test Job. 
And at the end of it, Job, even though he was a righteous man, uh, righteous man, when God finally confronts him at the end, says, "I'm nothing. I'm in. Yeah, I'm just going to sit here in 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 ashes. You know, woe is me. You know, I'm just paraphrasing here. But it's like even Job re- recognized, right? Um, that that he wasn't <laughs> as righteous as he was claiming, or even you know, Satan. Uh, I think it's in it's in Luke twenty two. Where Jesus uh, says to Peter, you know, Satan has asked for you that he would be able to sift you like wheat. And I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. Um, But when you turn again, strengthen your brothers. So even, you know, uh, even Peter wasn't going to be able to take temptation from Satan. He denied Christ, um, even though he said he wouldn't. (laughs) Um, So think of, so when you think of this, I mean, I think sometimes people come forward thinking of temptation and life with this almost cavalier attitude that I'm a Christian, I have the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to be able to resist temptation. And they almost see it as this, this work, this achievement, right? Um, But there's not very much humility in thinking of truth is, if God allowed, (laughs) right, true testing to come to me, I'm going to fail. Mm -hmm. And if it's by my own works or my own efforts or my own righteousness to resist temptation, I'm done for. Right. So that makes Jesus's victory, Jesus's, right, um, perseverance through temptation, really good news because you see that and you go, man, if I was an Israelite, I would have failed. If I was Adam and Eve in the garden, I would have failed. If I was Job, I would have failed. If I was Peter, I would have failed too. Praise God, Jesus did not mm-hmm. fail. Right. And he had the victory for me. Yeah. And in Christ, I know whatever Satan is, is on a leash, whatever is allowed to be thrown my way, I know that my victory is not in my own perseverance through every temptation. But it's that Jesus has a victory over temptation and then his righteousness belongs to me. Amen. I was going to ask a question, but you answered already. Like, because we sit around and we get to talk about this really interesting theology, but it might be a disconnect in people's lives. Like, what's that interesting subject matter have to do with my actual life? I mean, look what I have to face out. But you just answered it so well. You know, we have complete need yeah. uh, for, for Christ to have done that for us. And so uh, we, we put our whole trust in him and his achievement for us. All right, you mentioned another phrase earlier, Dewey, about our union with Christ. What is our union with Christ? And then I'll ask a follow-up question. Well, let's just apply it to a practical. So let's bounce what you were just talking about, Dave, with, you know, the temptation is to think I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. what do we do? We make ourselves look better is one temptation or we tend to think of God lower. And so we either self-justify um, and we become legalistic. I do this. I, I've, I've fasted fasting, you know, <laughs> I'm righteous. <clears throat> um, or we say, well, God doesn't really demand obedience. It's by grace. We're saved, you know? Um, and so union with Christ cuts through all of that. It forces us to recognize that our, our, um, um, righteousness 
is found alone in Christ. So oftentimes Paul will use the phrase in Christ, with Christ. Um, And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our righteousness. He doesn't see our fasting. He doesn't look upon how good we are, or he doesn't just compromise his holy standard. And so, but what he does see is Jesus Christ. And so when we're in Christ, we're hidden with Christ. We are, um, we are found in him. We're united with him. We're, um, the union of Christ means that. So practically speaking, I'm confronted with my sin, my shortcomings. And instead of, of running from that and self-justification or compromising God's holy standard, I live in that tension and I apply the gospel to it. I say, thanks be to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Because I'm united with him. My faith is in him. Um, his work on the cross, both on the cross and his life is applied to me. Awesome. Our union with Christ. So then how does that then help us to practically engage with temptation or disengage with temptation? So what does a union with Christ and his act of obedience have to do with uh, how do I get practical help in those moments when I feel like ah, these thoughts come to my mind or I have these sensations in my body that I want to go and do these things, but I know they're against God's uh, plan. What do you guys think? I think if you're a Christian and you breathe air, you have been tempted and you have failed. And in those moments when you failed, you've, you've fallen into sin. You've, you, you did something that you didn't want to do it, but the temptation got you and you and you messed up, however you want to call it. In that moment, by yourself, you would not be able to say to yourself, you know how God sees me? You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. How can God be pleased with me? I messed up. I failed. I wasn't faithful to him in that moment. And what you're saying, Dewey, is that that's where the gospel applies. Because the truth is, it's because of your face squarely on Jesus that God looks at you even when you sin. And even when you mess up, even when you fail temptation and he looks at you and he sees you in Christ and he says, you are my son. I am well pleased with you. Not because of your actions, but because of the, the righteousness of my son. And that creates this freedom to understand that you're, you're humble when you face temptation but you're also secure when you face temptation. And so you can go after, you can, you, can, you, you can pursue faithfulness through temptation with a confidence that you wouldn't have if your salvation's always on the line. Um, so it, it actually does something we wouldn't anticipate it to do, right? Yeah. The, the, the gospel and this, this doctrine of active obedience and union with Christ, it actually... Em, empowers us to yeah. fight temptation mm-hmm. versus versus what we often do is maybe in the face of temptation we white knuckle it and strengthen our really yeah. Yeah. strengthen ourselves and we're gonna or I'm gonna face this head on and I'm gonna get in a wrestling match with my sin and 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 then I fail and then it's like, oh, I'm so evil I'm so yeah I'm I'm just such a loser I'm 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 
oh man, I'm terrible. Or, or, or we say, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, I needed to do that. I needed to in- indulge in that because I've been really st- stressed out lately. Mm-hmm. Whatever we do, we don't apply yeah. the gospel. And our identity becomes wrapped up in what we do, our failures. And, well, I'm just, I'm, I, it's just who I am. It's, my, my family have, has always indulged in that. And mm-hmm. I guess that's just who I am. And instead, we're, we should say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm seated with Christ in the heavenlies. I am righteous. I've been justified. I've been, and yeah. we preach the gospel to ourselves. Yeah. Amen. And we find our identity in who Jesus is and what he's accomplished because we're in Christ. We're united with him. There's, there's another side to that too. So you mentioned like fight, right? It's like, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to grit yeah. my teeth and I'm going to do it. You also just uh, said Blair, it's like sometimes we retreat and that's the other thing we do. It's like, man, the world's so sinful. I feel like Noah, right? I'm just going to get the kids, pull them out of school. We're going to get in our boat, right? We're going to just uh, retreat from this from this world of temptations, right? Uh, I'm going to put, you know, no... No phones, no internet, you know, just kind of just remove these worldly things, um, you know, because I'm, I want to retreat from temptation, but that's just as, that's just as dangerous as gritting your teeth and just, you know, thinking you're, you're, uh, you're unstoppable in the face of temptation. So here's a question. Are we, are we saying that we don't fight? We don't resist temptation. We just kind of, you know, remind ourselves of the gospel and then miraculously we'll just not have temptation anymore. What does that look like? Good question. Cause I wanted to make sure in my sermon that I didn't say that <laughs> because it doesn't seem like that's what the scripture, the, the totality of the scriptures are saying. So I think it's uh, two sides, one coin, or if you want to think in terms of a foundation. So that my foundation is the, uh, my union with Christ and my, his, um, act of obedience, which counts on my behalf. So imputed righteousness. So God sees me as his beloved because I'm hid in his beloved, the one who earned it for me. That is 100% true. But the other part then is that that's salvation um, and ongoing salvation. But then there's sanctification. There's cooperation with the Holy Spirit to be renewed into the likeness of the new man. So I think it's Colossians 2 or Colossians 3 that talks about that. Maybe in Ephesians also 4 or 5. Um, so there's a renewing that takes place. So it's in the renewing that I cooperate with God. That's where I do things like fighting temptation, fleeing temptation, resisting the devil, putting off hostility and outbursts of anger and um, drunkenness and putting on Uh, righteousness and compassion and love and grace and purity of thought, purity of mind. Uh, I discipline my schedule so that I uh, move towards righteousness instead of maybe uh, slothfulness or idleness. And so I cooperate with God to become like Jesus because Jesus lived a life of complete obedience and devotion to the Lord in in trying to um, um, obey his will. And so that's where I'm trying to move to also. And I, I think you you hit it, Dewey. It's like the, this act of obedience of Christ and union with Christ doesn't create a, 
uh, end of Romans 5, first part of Romans 6 attitude. Oh, shall we, shall, go on, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Let's go sin it up. Yeah. No, it creates the opposite. Like, wow, look what he did for me. Man, I want my whole life to count for him. And so I want to please him. So it has the opposite effect of what we might actually think. So using your illustration of the foundation, <clears throat> it's almost that that foundation is part of the fight, right? So we need to, to, to not start over, but mm-hmm. we need to come back to the gospel in our fight against sin and then fight. Yep. And what we often do, I think, is that we just go and fight. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't first. I'm going to do this. Yeah. We don't first win this time. <laughs> remind ourselves that where the victory is ultimately won is in Jesus's righteousness. And Colossians 1 23 says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and on and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I, I think the idea is that we don't shift from, we don't move from the gospel, right? We live out the gospel. So we oftentimes think of the gospel as the beginning point, but I would argue it's the beginning and then it's a perpetual yes, coming yeah. back to that foundation, mm-hmm. building off, launching off of that foundation. So Jesus is always my representative and my example. Not just when I become a Christian, but as I continue to follow Jesus, because when I am tempted, I remember that Jesus is my representative, that my, uh, I'm hidden in his righteousness, so I'm secure, but he's also my example. And so I can look to Jesus's example, right, in, in faithfully walking through whatever temptation, you know, is thrown at me. So holding those, I'm just trying to summarize what you guys are saying. So holding those two together is, mm-hmm. like I said, not the starting point, but it's how the Christian life is lived. Yeah. There are two other passages in Hebrews that I think are key to understanding sort of the combination of uh, Jesus' act of obedience, and, and, but also when we do fail in our human weakness. So Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. So there you've got incarnation, Jesus taking on human flesh, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, so he's our intercessor, in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So he's our sacrifice, our redemption. And in verse 18, for since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So he, uh, Christ understands the temptations that we faced. He, face and also he he's not just an understanding friend who would also fail too it's like oh, i understand what you're going through because dude i i blow it too no he's like i i was tempted in that way i'm able to help you because of hebrews 4:15. we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin and so there's both solace in that, I rest on that foundation, but there's also a comfort and encouragement to say, Jesus went through all this, he did not sin. And so he can empower me to, um, uh, first of all, if I did fail, to, to he'll pick me right back up, I'm not kicked out of the house, but also he'll empower me to say, you know what, there is a way, there is a victory here that can be won, because I want it for you, and now you can go experience that victory in real life. So I think those two passages are, uh, important to you on this this topic. I pointed out yesterday too, there are three passages, uh, Ephesians 6.13, 1 
1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, and then James 4, 7. That all said to resist the devil. So back to your question, you know, do we just sort of roll over and play dead? Um, what does it actually look like to resist the devil? I mean, the scripture actually say that resist the devil. And then you have this example of Jesus in Matthew 4 of actually resisting the devil. Well, First Peter 5, that, that passage, I think, gives us the example. Okay. To humble ourselves, casting our anxiety on, yeah. on him. And so I think there's a, <clears throat> an element of vulnerability when we're proud. And so talking about the act of obedience and union with Christ, right? That's, that demands humility. That's saying, I am not righteous. Jesus is. He did it. And so I think one practical way is to humble ourselves, casting our anxiety on Christ is, is one way we can resist the devil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The James passage also draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Yeah. So you're fleeing to God in humility. I think and... first Peter five has that same kind of language. I, I believe yeah. even prior to that, mm-hmm. um, the draw near to God. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know for sure. There's the, the humility I know between those two yeah. passages. Uh, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He'll raise you up in due time. And God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud too. Yeah. So let's dig into something though. This is really interesting. So you guys brought this up in teaching team. Um, I want to hear you expound on it more. So do you remember when you talked about the pressure that Jesus was under, that he was facing as well as his... Um, his physical weakness, what came out of him at his uh, highest amount of pressure, what came out of him? It was the word of God and his perfection. Let's talk a little bit more about that as we think about um, the person of Christ and then how that can encourage us. So Jesus is weakened because of um, the, the fasting, his environment is terrible, it's very harsh. And then he faces these temptations of the devil to make the uh, stones into bread, to te- put God to the test to save him, and then also to have all the glories of the, the kingdoms. So let's dive more into the person of Christ about how all that scripture came out of him. How did that, how'd that come to be? What do you think? Well, he definitely knew his Bible. (laughs) (laughs) He did, for sure. So, you know, what's interesting about it is, you know, Jesus wasn't prepared for this. You know, uh, Satan didn't give him a bunch of note cards ahead of time. It's like, here's the (laughs) questions I'm going to ask you, right? (laughs) Yeah. It was, uh, uh, Satan, Satan was using all his, all of his cunning to try to get, you know, the, the son of man to, the son of God to fail. And so Jesus came back with a response every single time. And it was from, right, the law of Moses, you know, uh, the specifically, you know, the ones given to um, the Israel wandering through the wilderness. And so he was, his mind, his heart, he was resting in, right, um, the story of God, the the law of God, the word of God, uh, specifically to the context that he was in. And so it just shows that what was Jesus thinking about when he was fasting 40 days? Like he was thinking about, he was meditating on mm-hmm. scripture. And when temptation came, that's what came out. It's like you poke Jesus and scripture comes out. That's <laughs> yeah. what happened. It's pretty amazing. Any thoughts, Dewey? Um, you had mentioned yesterday, um, and I was just trying to find the, the specific temptation um, where Jesus said, look, I'm going to say it one final time. Um, like it wasn't just, uh, the scripture was in him. 
it seems that the authority of scripture was yeah, in his he said, like, depart Satan. Yeah. And that was in the last temptation. It was, you know, just bow down and worship me. Right. So Jesus, depart Satan. Jesus had this, I think, reliance and confidence. You said like resting in like Jesus, Jesus was, um, not just memorizing verses, but he was living in like breathing them. Like mm-hmm. it was his, yeah. um, it was sustenance for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's pretty amazing when you think about the personhood of Jesus. So um, this is real quick. I'm going to say something. I won't be able to expound on it for sake of time, but the, the person in Psalm one, the man in Psalm one, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but in his law, he meditates day and night. That's Christ. So Christ is the full fulfillment of that. And you see that coming out here in Matthew chapter four. All right, Dave, uh, we're going to end with this. You had mentioned something about we also have to battle the flesh. So it's not, you know, Jesus didn't have to battle his flesh. He didn't have a sinful flesh. I mean, he was made in human likeness, but um, divine nature and in human nature in that mystery that existing at once. So, but we have a corrupted flesh, a corrupted nature. I should say it that way, a corrupted nature. So we have to face not just the devil and his temptations from time to time, trials, but um, we have our own (laughs) corrupted flesh. So what are some scriptures and thoughts about that and how we can follow Christ's example to overcome that? The main one that comes to mind is James 1, where he's telling people, don't say that you're tempted by God because God doesn't tempt, right? In verse 14, he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire when it's has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. So think of how our temptation is different than Jesus. Jesus did not have sinful desires, a sinful nature, right? He was perfect, but we do. And I think, I think this pushes against, you know, coming with a cavalier attitude or thinking that every single trial and temptation is, is coming from Satan. Actually, James is saying, it's like, well, Satan's behind all this, but really your biggest enemy, your biggest tempter is your old nature. Yeah. It's you. And you, and you know yourself more than anyone knows you. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And so what are some weapons that we can engage? What are some, uh, means of grace that God has given us Some weapons we can engage in this fight? Well, definitely he's given us his Holy spirit. He's mm-hmm. given us his word. He's given us the, the church, the body. Yeah. Um, so brothers and sisters that can encourage us and hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. I think a big one is, is again, uh, we started this podcast talking about um, temptations, right? In the Lord's prayer, Jesus actually said, (laughs) right? Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. And so the truth is, is like, look, if you are your worst tempter, your sinful nature, God's saying, look, ask for deliverance, ask to be not to be led into that. And that's a good thing to ask. Don't be cavalier. Don't don't be thinking that, you know, your your old nature is not out to get you. It it is. Yeah. So ask God for help. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Awesome mentions there, guys. You know, prayer, the, the word of God, the church. Um, I think about the Ephesians six context also taking up the shield of faith and then also uh, wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I think the more that we can be in scripture, the more um, 
the more artillery we have in order to win. Um, I, I'm not going to guarantee wins <laughs> for our weakness of our flesh, but uh, certainly we can experience more and more victory that way as we think about it, meditate on it, and then p- let those scriptures saturate into changing our lifestyle and how we think about things too. So, so um, I, let's just talk just as we close here. Uh, how would you encourage the person who maybe feels overwhelmed by temptation or having a cycle of falling into sin um, and sensing or feeling like, you know, ah, could God accept me again? Here I am, God, my hat in my hand again. I did the same thing that I said last week I wasn't going to do, and here I am. So how would you encourage that person? They're truly a believer. I would, I would want to stress that you said they're truly a believer. Um, I would want to stress to them that they need to pick up their identity as, as someone who's in Christ. And so their performance clearly is that a failure, but that doesn't make them a failure. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, that means they're in Christ. And so they are loved by God just as much in the midst of their failure as they are when they're doing really well. And <clears throat> so what does that look like? Maybe it's memorizing a verse like second Corinthians five, 17 in Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And just like hammering that anytime they start to take your thoughts captive and no, come back to I'm, in Christ, I'm a new creation. And and you hold on to that when you look to Jesus as your example. So what, what you shouldn't do is you shouldn't memorize Deuteronomy <laughs> the way Jesus did, right? right? Because for Jesus, Deuteronomy, the, God's perfect holy standard in his law, that was Jesus's example, right? That was Jesus's um Um, but if you're in Jesus, Jesus is your righteousness. He is the one who fulfilled the law for you. So what you do is when you get into scripture, look, think of who is, who Jesus is, what he has done, the gospel, what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Let that be the story. Let that be the passages. Let those be the scriptures that you are swimming and reminding yourself of when you face temptation and let that bleed out of you, right? When, uh, uh, when, when you are tempted. So swim in the gospel, um, and Deuteronomy only applies to you insofar as you are in Christ, who is the true son of God, right? Who was, um, who was, who was called out of, of Egypt into the promise. And then, and then when you have done those things, you start to identify what is this sin giving me? Like what idol am I making out of this? Why, why, why is this convincing me that I can have control or have comfort or have satisfaction and call it out for what it is? It's a lie. And, and so it's, it's, it's working that identity, working that confidence, knowing what is God's standard and then repenting and turning away from that lie and speaking truth to that and letting Christ be, um, that source of, of hope and his glory becomes your, your, your big vision and your big goal. I guess you can call it the, be gone, Satan moment. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, if you're in Christ, I want to remind you that uh, your sinful record does not count against you, but Christ's sinless perfection counts for you. And so we've uh, walked through Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 so far, um, at least half of it. And so we're going to get into the ministry of Jesus uh, next week. And so we're learning a lot about who Jesus is. I hope you're falling more in love with him as we uh, keep going through the scriptures. So thanks, guys, for sharing your biblical wisdom with us today. It was fun. All right. See you next time. All right. See you next time on Living Hope Finley Podcast.